powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, please. Thank you. Sit. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show Vacation Edition. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we get into the episode, I want to say thanks again to my last guest, Bill Hem. His 9-11 survival story was incredible, and I was amazed at the response. Thanks again, Bill, for coming on the show, and I told your sister to stop picking on you. Hopefully she listens. I don't know. As I mentioned in the last episode, I am currently on vacation in the United Kingdom seeing family and friends, and then I am hopping over to Rome for a few days to celebrate a milestone in my marriage. Ten years. So I may post a few fun photos on our Twitter and Instagram page, so go to at Derek Duvall Show on either of those two platforms. So welcome to episode 83. We've got a real good one for you today. We have on the show Carl Darden, an ex-Navy pilot and the founder of Navy Sports Nation podcast and blog. He's an extraordinary man and a great person to speak with, and I hope you enjoy what we put together. So let's get him on out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and help this old sailor Welcome him all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, the founder of Navy Sports Nation, Mr. Carl Darden. <laughs> Carl, hello. Welcome to the Dark Duvall Show. How has the weather been up by you today? Oh, thanks, Derek, for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, it's it's Arizona and it's July, so it's going to be hot. Um Right now, it's roughly 106 degrees. At the time that we're doing this, which is about 430 my time. So it's pretty typical for this kind of year, this time of year, and we can expect it to go at least 10 degrees higher before the month is out at some point. Oh, it was 105 today when I got in my car on my dashboard and I'm sitting there like, that's just stupid hot. So, <laughs> so I start my interviews off with the same question. That is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic? Okay, so actually I did get through it in pretty good shape, but at the time, you know, I was as concerned as most people, especially given the fact that there's no vaccine out or anything like that. So I was pretty cautious the first, we'll call it nine months or so. And and certainly for the first three or four, where we're doing a lot of the quarantining at home, I didn't go anywhere unless I was running or going to the grocery store, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the business I had, I was an energy management consultant. And of course, that took a huge hit because my marketplace was that small business owner who's looking to save some money. But, uh, you know, at that point, they're just trying to keep themselves above water. So they're not really interested in spending money <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. So that took a major hit. But, uh, you know, I had some, you know, some safety nets there to, to, to kind of work through. But health wise, it was fine. I, you know, when the vaccines became available in the following spring, you know, I got all those, I got my boosters and everything. So now it's just kind of out there in the back of my mind. But you know, I've done everything I can to stay healthy, my my family and kids the same way. So we're just kind of taking it a, a, a day at a time now, but it doesn't really occupy the our, our brains like it did before. Absolutely. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? What was it like to grow up there? 
So I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, at uh, Nellis Air Force Base. Okay, my dad was a was an Air Force guy. We moved basically every two to three years. So when we moved away from Vegas, I never made it back there until actually as an adult when I was working for uh, Johnson and Johnson, which was one of the companies I worked for later on in my life. But uh, but we moved every two to three years. Uh, went to Italy. Then when my dad was in Vietnam, we moved back with his mom in southern Arkansas for about a year. When he came back, we were up in Maine, then down in Florida, and then in South Carolina. And then when he retired, which is right before I started the ninth grade, we were in Denver, Colorado, which is where I consider home because that's where my parents still live. So if he was Air Force, uh, Colorado Springs, what made you go to Annapolis for the Naval Academy? Uh, yeah, good question. I, I get that a lot. And and the way it actually kind of came about is when when I was faced with the choices, and, and we'll kind of throw West Point in there too, but uh, I'd never been to West Point. I'd been to the Air Force Academy, and I had never been to the Naval Academy either, but I just knew a fair amount about it at the time. But uh, for me, it was more or less, uh, it came down to two things. Number one, I wanted to really kind of be out on my own. And, you know, I figured, okay, Air Force Academy is great, but it's only like an hour south. Uh, later on, I, I lived to, you know, I felt like I was, maybe that wasn't a great decision to make because when I was in Annapolis and you're like 1,500 miles away, they all said, oh my God, it's, you know, whenever things get really stressful, then you don't have the luxury of being able to 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 call home and, and just have the chance to just you know, be there in about 15 or 20 minutes. But yeah. um, the other thing, though, was the whole historical component. All right. The Air Force Academy was started in like 1954. Naval Academy been around since 1845. So I'm, I'm a big history guy. And the very idea of going to college at a campus that's basically a historical landmark was pretty appealing to me. So that's that's one reason that really drove that decision. Tell us about the is it, I'm going to say it right. Is it the Herndon Monument Climb? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Herndon, that's exactly right. And for those of uh, your listeners who aren't familiar, Herndon Monument is basically a 20 foot high granite obelisk that is on the Academy grounds. And uh, picture it as a, as a smaller version of the Washington Monument, I guess. Um, and every spring, the, the freshman class, as a part of a ceremony that kind of marks their, you know, graduation into the upper classes of the Academy, they they greased down this Herndon monument with the most slippery substances known to mankind. <laughs> and, and it's like really thick too. And the idea there, they put a, a, a sailor cap on top of it. We call it a Dixie cup. And the whole idea is for the class to work together to climb the, to scale the monument, remove the Dixie cup and place a standard Naval officer's cap or cover on top. Mm-hmm. And the, the legend has it that the, the person who ends up doing that will be uh, looks like they would be the one in the class who would reach admiral for the you know they'd be the first one in class to reach admiral. That's that's the story. Mm. So um, it's it's an amazing spectacle. And and let me just qualify this by saying that my freshman year, th- there's actually a third of each class that is gets tagged to go on their summer training early. So those that are in that category end up missing the ceremony, uh, and they just kind of hear about it. Well, I was one of those guys. I just you know I wasn't there because I had to go on early cruise to San Diego. But nevertheless, I knew a boatload of classmates that that took part, and uh, it was, it was something else. I mean, just seeing pictures of it and everything, just everybody like working together. There's just like totally greased yeah. down and all that. And I tell you what, it's not 100% safe either because one no. of my classmates, <laughs> one of my classmates took a big toe right to the eye socket, <laughs> and so he had to get checked out. Turns out he was fine, but uh, 
Yeah, it was pretty ugly. As it as it turns out, long story short, we ended up climbing the the monument in an hour and twenty seven minutes, which is not the fastest, but it's it's one of the fastest. So it's pretty good. They were pretty coordinated. Fair enough. So we're going to talk about real fast um, about your time as a pilot, but there is one question I want to do before that. How many how many deployments did you do? I was in a weird squadron. Okay, I was in a combat support squadron, and we we didn't go out for you know six to nine months at a time, right? We went out for you know, a month and a half or two at a time. And we just did a bunch of those. And, and primarily what we were doing is we were supporting any carrier's training mission that was in the area. And that primarily constituted the, uh, you know, the carrier qualifications for all the pilots. Right. So we spent a lot of time doing that. I, I was in that squadron for about, I'm going to say three years. And uh, I mean, so we were going out quite often, but it wasn't quite the same as going out like on a nine month deployment or something like that. Right. You got your sea legs? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I did, a, well, carriers are pretty big ships, so I was, I was okay right. there. But I will tell you that one of the reasons I did not go surface Navy is because on the smaller boats, which on smaller ships that they call tin cans, like destroyers and such, in certain sea conditions, especially the ones that were, I was okay in rolling seas, mm -hmm. pitching seas, I had a tough time. So that's one of the reasons I did not go, I did not go surface Navy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, the first time I was on my duty station when I, I met it in Hawaii in Pearl for mm -hmm. the Pearl Harbor movie premiere. And, you know, I'm like, oh my God, this is what the Navy is. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I got Kate Beckinsdale, I got Ben Affleck here. Man, I'm coasting, I'm coasting <laughs> for my, my, my enlistment. And then um, you know, I remember the first time we, we put those moors up, we went out to sea and we were about to sea for two hours after we secured from uh, manning the rails. And I had my head over the side of the ship and it, it mm -hmm. stayed over the side of the ship for about four days, getting back to San Diego. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. But it, yeah. finally you just, you know, you, your body adjusts and you learn to walk with the pitch and yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So why do you want to be a pilot? So now here's an interesting thing. My, my dad was a helicopter pilot in the air force. Okay. He, he flew rescue in Vietnam. That's what his tour was just um, uh, for the year that he was there. And then subsequently when he, when he came back, but um, in, even though I'd ridden in helicopters before and I'd been exposed to them early in my life, I, I, I didn't really have it in my head to be a pilot at that time. And when I went to the academy, uh, you have several opportunities to figure out what service selection you can choose, okay? Obviously, you have submarines, surface Navy, which we just talked about, the Marine Corps, and also Naval Aviation, which also is Marine Corps Aviation, too. So those were the five areas. Um, for for me, part of it was process of elimination, okay? I spent two days on a sub and knew that those were basically two of the worst days of my life. I, I hated it. Just being away from the sun, not knowing whether it was daytime or nighttime, things like that. Submariners are great, but that wasn't for me. Uh, we already talked about the ship stuff. And so that left either the Marine Corps or Naval Aviation. And I, I think Marines are awesome. In fact, one of the last squadrons I was in was a composite squadron where I was a flight instructor and half of them were made up of Marines and my best CO was a Marine. But they, I would have been catching all kinds of grief because I always pushed the limit on the haircut, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of how long I could wear it. So I just figured, you know what, I'll just, I'll go Navy Air and, and uh, see how that works out. And coincidentally, once I got there, I felt like the best fit for me was gonna be helicopters because they had a really, cool variety of missions and so forth. And it just seemed to fit my personality more. Nice. You did full 20? I did nine active and 11 reserve for a total of 20. So uh, I flew the whole time I was in uh, on active duty. But when I was in the reserves, 
it was kind of difficult to maintain your minimums when you did not live near a naval base. So right. um, I ended up working with a group of air traffic controllers in one of those squadrons. So we always went out and supported um, you know, aviation uh, groups and so forth whenever I did my two weeks of active duty training. So what led you to leave? Uh, the biggest thing was I pretty much did everything I wanted to do. I, I think that I, I enjoyed flying so much. There were so many times where I was coming back with students, you know, on a Friday afternoon saying, my, oh my God, they're actually paying me to do this, you know? But the further up you got in your career, the less flying you'd have a chance to do, right? And so for me, I'm thinking, okay, if that's gonna happen, I wanna have a little bit more flexibility in terms of what my path is. So since I'd had a chance to be an instructor and teach other students, that was kind of my ultimate goal. I said, okay, well, let's just go ahead and, and see what's going on on the outside. But I did not want to give up that connection. And that's why I stayed with the reserves and uh, served the balance of the 20 years uh, going that 11 from basically 1993 to 2004. Crazy. So I asked this question the other day to another veteran, but I will ask the same to you is, you know, one day, you know, your, you know, your haircuts, you know, discipline, Next day, you transitioned to civilian life. What was that transition like for you? It was it was different. I mean, it wasn't like I wouldn't I wouldn't call it traumatic or anything like that. But I think that there was definitely a, a mind shift that you have to undergo, right? In terms of just the expectations you have of other groups of people and so forth. And for me, it took me a while to kind of find the track that I I eventually settled upon. Okay, I, I got off active duty in '93, and initially. I went right to work for a private company. They were a big, huge conglomerate. And I worked in their, one of their food processing plants as a supervisor. I was basically working in a soybeans plant and refinery, okay? A bunch of rail cars and trucks would come in, dump a bunch of soybeans. We turned it into soybean meal and also um, soybean oil. And it was not the job that that was for me. But at the time, there was a recession going on, and it was really tough to find work. And so I was more concerned with finding work then really figuring out, okay, am, am I really going to enjoy this? Because I'd been making money since I was like nine years old mowing lawns. You know, I'd never yeah. been without money coming in uh, since that time. So <laughs> it was one of those things. When the first day I showed up for work, I rolled in and I said, you know, I, I if I if I last here a year, I'll be lucky. And I and I made it like nine months. And nothing against the company. I mean, they're a great company, but it just it was just a poor fit from the very beginning. And I just I just didn't recognize it. And after that, I, this was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I. I'd been to Raleigh, North Carolina a few times. I really liked that area. So I just picked up and moved there and found some work as a, um, you know, I started working as a personal uh, fitness consultant and eventually built out a little, you know, niche working with different companies, you know, doing fitness assessments for their employees. If they had a fitness center, I could kind of help manage that and that sort of thing. So it's kind of cool for, you know, just a one-man operation and it kept the bills paid but it wasn't a future for me. I wasn't married at the time, so it wasn't like I was having to, uh, you know, support anybody else. But still, I knew that eventually I'd have to get into something a little bit more structured. And I ended up uh, picking up a position with Johnson & Johnson, actually, um, in pharmaceutical sales. And I eventually went into sales training and sales management. Long story short, 19 years there, terrific career, had a lot of fun, and um, stepped away from that about six years ago to work in energy management because I've always been an energy management junkie. I mean, right. I've got all kinds of energy renewal gadgets around my house. I mean, energy um, efficiency gadgets around my house and that sort of thing. So I did that for about six years. And of course, like I said, the pandemic kind of messed that up, but um, 
that was kind of my path. It took me about three years or so before I finally found that J&J track, but uh, it was a good experience for me. I mean, I think it, uh, it went pretty well. Okay, Devon Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this amazing interview. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink, take some super nice, long, deep breaths, you know, Clouseau style. Pay attention to two friends of the show, and we will be right back. This is Country Boy for One My Black History. And if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow, and the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMikeHistory.com. In today's story, Elena tried taking a magic potion which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. What's going on, everyone? This is your girl, Julene, host of It Goes Down in the PM. We talk about everything from work, motherhood, local celebrities to comic books. Tune in every Friday at 1 o'clock to find out what really goes down in the PM. everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. 
You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 83 of the Derek Duvall Show, Vacation Edition. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the founder of Navy Sports Nation, Carl Darden. So the next question I have for you is this. What led to the creation of the Navy Sports Blog? Okay, so, you know, it's funny that that was, I had no thought to even start a blog until I had a bunch of classmates come up to me and they say, you know, you really need to give this a shot. And <laughs> and here's how it all started. It was about 10 years ago. Um, I'm a chronic Navy sports fan. I mean, not just football and basketball, but you know, lacrosse, swimming, rowing, anything you can imagine. We have 35 sports, varsity sports for men and women, and I'll follow all of them. So about 10 years ago, uh, when I was on my class Facebook page during football season, you know, Navy came up with a win and I was watching the game and I had a couple of comments to make and I, you know, threw them onto our class website, you know, and then eventually that kind of morphed into like a full blown analysis of each game. And at that time I had a couple, in fact, it was my, one of my old roommates. He said, Carl, you know, if you've never thought about starting a blog, you should, because you've got a knack for kind of capturing things that are up about football and breaking them down so that people like me who don't really follow sports a lot can figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah, I know, but work is like clobbering me right now. I wouldn't have the time to do anything like that. So fast forward to 2019, when I went back from my 35 year reunion and I was talking to one of my classmates and she is in the media industry, you know, and she'd read a lot of my stuff and she says, look, man, I do this for a living. You need to give it a shot, you know? So I said, all right, well, I'll look into it when I get home. So this would have been October of 2019. And so I started doing the research and started putting it together. In January was when I published my first article and it's called Navy Sports Nation. So you can find it at NavySportsNation.com. And I would try to, you know, I would cover football, of course, but the interesting thing is it's the the sports that don't get a whole lot of exposure that get the most attention, right? So I did, I've done several pieces on rowing. I did one on water polo. Uh, I did feature one young guy. He was a guard. I, this was a basketball story, so it's fairly popular, but he was a freshman guard and uh, that got a lot of, uh, of attention. And I think one of the ones I'm most proud of is, it was a rowing one, but it was done in a different way. And this kind of ties back to when you're talking about the pandemic. We lost one of my, well, it's probably more than one classmate, but one in particular that we lost due to the pandemic really hurt because this guy was like bigger than life. And he was a member of the rowing team. And one of my other classmates who rowed with him, you know, emailed me and he said, hey, you know, we lost, we lost Earl um, over on Christmas Eve. And he goes, I was wondering, he goes, I don't know if this will work for you, but I was wondering if you can kind of do like a tribute to him and your blog and so forth. And I said, you know, absolutely, man, send me any, every picture you have. Now, I didn't know Earl personally, but I knew I had him in several classes when I was there and I knew who he was. So, I mean, he had a personality was bigger than life, but uh, I was able to put together that piece kind of honoring him, but at the same time, also reaching out to everybody who read it and say, Hey, look, you know, this pandemic is something different, right? Um, let's not take things for granted, reach out to the people who you know and love and stay in contact with them, get back in contact with them if you lost contact and, and, you know, just appreciate every day for what it is because it could be gone in a heartbeat. And so I actually got a response back from Earl's brother on that very thing. And he, he was very grateful. And, and I, that was one that, you know, I really appreciate. So even if, even if that wasn't one of the most popular ones, 
that's the one I point my finger and say, I'm glad I did that because I think I reached a few people. That's awesome. So that being said, tell us about your popular podcast. Okay. So the podcast came about, um, about a year after the, the, uh, blog started and it was kind of like a natural progression, that sort of thing. I thought about it a couple of times and couple of, I was just thinking, oh, should I pull the trigger on this or not? And finally I said, all right, let's just go ahead and, and do the full-blown research, see what I need to do. And I knew that it was just going to be me. So I had to make sure I didn't bite off more than I could chew. The biggest thing was just kind of settling on a, on a production schedule. And I kind of went with every couple of weeks instead of like every week or anything like that. But uh, it was, it's really a lot of fun. That's all I can say. I mean, I have uh, some good tools and everything, and the the, the subject matter kind of comes up. It's a combination um, guest slash solo show. I mean, mm -hmm. for my first year, I would say about half the episodes were just by myself, and the other half had guests. But I'm going to try and pull in more guests for this upcoming sports season. I'm going to try and push that to like two-thirds to three-quarters. And I've actually got a couple of good interviews set up. Actually, I'm actually doing one tomorrow and then one Saturday to get ready because I'm going to start publishing them again in August. What kind of guests do you do? Oh, good question. So anybody that's remotely connected with Navy sports and the most obvious ones would be like, say for instance, you know, current and former athletes to talk about how the team is doing, their respective teams right. are doing right now. That's one. Uh, coaches. It's more than one podcast that covers Navy sports. And quite frankly, that other one is really good because those guys are, those dudes are super connected. I mean, they can pull in the football coach, the athletic director, you know, basically at any time. Yeah. That's not me. Okay. <laughs> so I, like I said, I focus on the sports that kind of fly below the radar. I've got a great relationship with the rowing coaches. Um, I've had the football strength and conditioning coach on before. So that's kind of cool. And then I also pull in, say, oh, say for instance, podcasters who do teams that maybe ends up playing. Like I had the guy from Marshall university on one time. And then Another guy from Pittsburgh who covers the, the Pitt Panthers and, and Navy's Navy football's played Pitt a few times, you know, that sort of thing. So those are the kind of guests I typically work with. And then one little twist that I'm going to try this year is I have a bunch of people on my uh, group Facebook page that are parents of current athletes. So the two that I'm actually got lined up to do for these next couple of days are actually the parents of Navy football players. So the the idea there is not to focus on what they're doing now at Navy. I want to know what these kids were like growing up, right? And right. just kind of learn a little bit about, you know, what what it was like being their parent. And, you know, I'm a parent and I got an 18 year old son. And so I went through a lot of those same things that they probably did. But for them, it's even escalated because now they're competing on a national stage pretty much, right. you know? So uh, it's really kind of neat to see how they brought them along to the point where they could make that transition. Nice. So every podcaster I have on the show um, has to answer one question. And I hope you're ready for it. Uh, tell us what gear you're using. Oh, great. Um, so my mic is one of the older Audio-Technica 2100s. I use Hindenburg Journalist Pro to do my editing. And when I record a remote interviews and so forth, I use Squadcast. Nice. Those are the big ones. And then, of course, I just got the standard Microsoft desktop setup and stuff like that. You'd be amazed how many people ask me that question. Um, if I go on someone else's show or they come on mine, it's like it's like kind of like an unspoken rule amongst podcasters that you have to ask what gear they're using. So right, right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and I guess my headphones are Audio Technica too. I think so. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, with all this has been going on in your life all these years, what would you say has been the hardest obstacle you've ever had to overcome? For me, 
uh, it was the transition from J and J to working on my own as an energy management consultant. It was it was a challenge, and I'm not I'm not joking about that either. I mean, it was something where you know, luckily I had a, enough of a safety net to make it work. You know, I had a, a solid business loan and all that kind of stuff, but man. I underestimated how much you had to market. And I just, one of the issues for me was when I was working for Johnson and Johnson, I mean, I've lived here in Arizona for now 17 years, but at the time that I made that transition, it was 11. And, but I was gone for most of the time. I was always on a plane someplace. So I never really had enough time to put my roots down in the community. So I was starting from ground zero at that point. And it was a lot of hustling and everything. And I finally ended up landing some, some really good accounts and right at the time that I was, I landed my biggest account. And we we finished that job. I was going to use that example and the savings that we were able to generate from that huge upscale golf club. Uh, it was one out in Scottsdale. In fact, the guy who won the U.S. Open, John Rahm, um, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, he belongs to that club. Mm. But um, anyway, uh, it was it was awesome the way that everything kind of came together there. And I was going to use that to basically leapfrog the business and and use that as a model to, to gain more business. And then bam, the pandemic hit and that was about it. So now the nice thing is, you know, working so much time for J and J uh, they, they take care of you on the pension. So that, that meant that, okay, I didn't have to sweat the bills being paid or anything like that. Right. And that allowed me to kind of say, all right, I'm going to keep trying to do this during the pandemic, but if it doesn't work, at least I can step away from it knowing I gave it my best shot. So that's, that's kind of where I am right now. That's absolutely fantastic. I love when people, I love hearing that story. When people say that, so at least I gave it my damn best, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I always like to throw in a fun question towards the end. What kind of shows or music are you into currently? Okay, shows. Um, you know, if we're talking network, I think, uh, you know, I like the, like the, the action dramas, you know, like your NCIS, your Chicago mm -hmm. Fire, that sort of thing. But I really like the retro shows like my son and i i got him hooked on quantum leap when uh the original <laughs> quantum leap when he was Love in like it. seventh grade and so we'd watch we watched we've seen every episode together and then in fact we watched the last episode again just a few days ago and he's and he says you know that ending is interesting but i want to see on youtube what other people thought about it and stuff so he pulls up on youtube and he types in quantum leap in a search and all of a sudden we see quantum leap reboot I'm like, dude, look it, man, they got a reboot coming up. And sure enough, in September, they're doing a Quantum Leap reboot on NBC that we're going to check out. So that's that's kind of what it is for movies now or, or, or in TV shows. But uh, and by the way, I'm also a Marvel guy, not not a DC Comics guy. I like Marvel because of my son as well. Um, but uh, for music, pretty much a wide range, you know, hip hop to rock, uh, anything that gets me going and gets me motivated to work out. Uh, works for me. And and one example would be like, okay, you know, Ludacris, it's not the cleanest song in the world, but, uh, you know, Jump or Get Back, I think it is. It was, if you've seen the movie Tropical Thunder, <laughs> it's right at the end in that movie. And then uh, one other one that I like, it's kind of obscure, but it's by a group called Red Rider and it's called Lunatic Fringe. And it was most noteworthy when uh, it was featured in the movie Vision Quest with Matthew Modine. It's a wrestling yep. movie. So yep. those are the two that really get me going. I know that song very well. Um, as we begin to wind down the interview, uh, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Okay. Oh, and thanks for that, by the way. So let's see. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at uh, Carl D Navy 84. That's the easiest way, I guess. 
my blog is called uh, Navy Sports Nation. So you can pull that up on NavySportsNation.com. And then my podcast is called Navy Sports Central, which I know it's not greatest to have two different names for the, you know, an entity that basically does the same thing. But I think of it as, you know, Navy Sports Central is the official podcast of Navy Sports Nation, of the Navy Sports Nation. So that you can find anywhere you get your podcast. Just type in Navy Sports Central into the search and it'll come up. And uh, yeah, I mean, check out some episodes, you know, if you like it, follow it. And uh, maybe, maybe Navy is a team that you kind of add into your list of teams that you kind of follow in the background, you know, who knows. All right, Carl, I am my interviews with my favorite question. The question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of earth? Um, okay. So for me, I'm, I'm a big golden rule guy. And, and I know that, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to several of your episodes and, and your guests have kind of come and said, things that are similar, but they, they're saying it for a reason. It's, be, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, it's a cliche because it, 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 there's a reason why it's a cliche, right? But um, I I really believe in treating people like you want yourself to be treated. Um, you know, it's not to say I'm perfect, but if I catch myself, you know, maybe the stresses of the day, you know, kind of get to me and I find that I've maybe not been totally polite to somebody, I'll check myself and I say, hey, look, you know, that's on me. I'm sorry about that. I'm having a rough day. I shouldn't have taken it out on you. And then you just try to learn from it and go forward. The goal for me is to never have to apologize, which means that I've never, you know, jumped at somebody because I'm having a lousy day, right? Um, right. You, you want them to be, you know, feel comfortable. And, and again, it goes back to being treated the way that you want to be treated. And then the other thing too, I, I mentioned it before, Derek, was um, don't take your family and friends for granted. You just mm. don't want to do it. And I think that right now I'm at the stage of my life where, you know, I want to give back to the community and stuff like that. And I'm just doing whatever I can to, to make a contribution. And, and then the final thing would probably be just, you know, let's take care of the planet because it's the only <laughs> one we got. So <laughs> let's make sure we're around for a little bit longer. Nice. Carl, thanks ever so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. This has been it's been an absolute blast. <laughs> I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you so much for having me. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 83 of the Vacation Edition. I want to thank Carl again for being such a great sport and for coming on the show and hanging out with me. I hope he and I can touch base further on down the road, and I know I'll be bugging him when Navy hopefully defeats Army this year. As I mentioned on this episode, I'm currently in Europe on vacation, so you're getting lots of pre-recorded content to make up for my absence. I know, dry your eyes. I'll return in a few weeks, rested, and ready to get close to that ever-looming 100th episode milestone, and I've got a great guest already in mind for that episode. But we are not done yet, Duval Nation. The production team have cooked up a special surprise for our loyal listeners. In what I am hoping is the first of many callbacks, Please welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show, all the way from Sweet Home Chicago, the Teeth Talk girl herself, YouTube sensation, Whitney DeForgio. <laughs> Whitney, hello. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather up in Illinois today? Thank you for having me. Today it's hot. It's yeah. very hot today. It's humid and hot, but I love it. I'm not complaining. I wish it was like this every day. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into asking about, you know, what's going on with your channel and that, I want to offer first congratulations yeah. on your nuptials. Last time you oh, were thank you. Last time you were on the show, you mentioned there was a wedding in the future. So congratulations. 
<laughs> yes, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's it's been it's almost coming up on a year already. Oh, wow. Time flies. Time flies, uh, right? Loved the teeth accessories for the bridesmaids. You saw. <laughs> we did. We got a tickle out. It was awesome. I was like, wait, wait to brand it, man. Thank you. They, my, I have good friends. They were nice. I was like, hey, not only are you in this wedding, but you got to hold toothbrushes <laughs> and toothpurses. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh... So the last time we checked in on your dental-based YouTube channel was one of the, mm -hmm. which is still one of the hottest video channels on the platform. How is the show doing currently? Do you have anything exciting coming up in the future? Thank you. Yes, I mean, we're always growing, which is awesome. It makes me so happy that so many people are interested in dental health and want to join the community to learn more and more about teeth. You know, a lot of videos that I've been posting lately are all about trends, like what's going on in social media. And I'm basically debunking the trends because most of them are not cool to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what a lot of my videos are right now. <laughs> um, as we approach the season of heavy eating, uh, what mm -hmm. advice do you have for my listeners for practicing good dental hygiene amongst all the sweets and other mm -hmm. holiday treats? And I, I hate saying pumpkin stuff, but I know I'll get yellow if I don't. So, yeah. How, how exactly do we need to keep our teeth looking good during this holiday season? Yeah, last fall, I actually did a whole video on pumpkin spice and like, you know, how bad it is for your teeth, the whole thing. So yeah, no, it's, you know, you can't avoid this, the holidays and you can't avoid sugar, right? So um, it, even worse than sugar is fermentable carbs, which is like bread and cereal, goldfish, graham crackers. That's the stuff that really sticks on your teeth. So super mm -hmm. bad for your teeth, whether it's can, you know, the sugar and candy or the sugar from carbs. But um, my best advice is to always rinse with water. I know nobody's going to brush after every single meal. We're living about our days. We're going, you know, we're going around. We're not always in our house to brush, right? So swishing with water, really rinsing, reducing the contact time that food is sitting on your teeth, it can really make a difference. So I always recommend everyone drinks water after you eat and drink anything. Of course, proper, I mean, it's not, I'm going to sound like a broken, boring record of like brushing and flossing every single night, that whole thing. But um, my biggest thing is, yeah, really drinking that water throughout the day. It helps so much. Mm. Uh, I will make you uh, a very happy person. I want to let you know that I actually made a dental checkup of my own volition. Didn't even have to be prodded in the back of anybody to do it. So I need to go get my teeth looked at. So I have an appointment coming up soon. I'm very happy about that. Yes, uh, that is so good. Being British, there is such a horrible stereotype about bad teeth. So I like to defy, you know, and break barriers when I can. So... <laughs> Um, no, that is so I that makes me sad hearing that, but it makes me so happy <laughs> that you are on it, right? That's the biggest thing is scheduling the appointment. Then you have it and then you'll go, right? Yeah. yeah. I, one of the funny okay. things is, is it's it's kind of a weird thing, but you know, it's whenever I got you go to the dentist, and I have a great dentist. She's a she's a super nice lady. I've been going there for years. When I go to the dentist, I actually have to like remind my family in Great Britain, hey, by the way, get your teeth looked at because I know you haven't. And uh, it's so funny. That is so good of you, though. You're promoting dental care. Yeah. That is so good. You're supporting the cause. <laughs> I want to ask you before, because when, when I knew you were going to come back on the show, I went back and re-listened to your episode. And one of my favorite questions I think I may have ever asked was, it was asked to you from a fan. Oh. And I want to build off that question one more time. How oh. are your teeth doing? Maybe I do remember. I was like, what is he going to ask? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my teeth are good. 
that is cool. I am having some jaw pain recently because I do oh. crunch and grind a lot. So that's a fun fact. I get very stressed and, and when I just like crunch and grind. So I always wear my night guard when I go to sleep to protect my teeth. Sounds super lame, but it's not lame when you protect your teeth. So they're not getting grinded down to little stubs. So I wear my night guard and I'm doing my best like we all are. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So before we let you go, uh, can you please remind my listeners again how to follow your adventures online? Of course. Thank you. So youtube.com slash teeth talk. That is where you can find all my videos and even not even better, but even more organized. If you're looking for a specific video, I do have a website, teethtalkgirl.com. So teethtalkgirl.com, there's a search bar and you could type in like any, any topic. Like if you want to know something about whitening or you want to know about, I just did a video on oil pooling or I just did the debunking video on turmeric and your teeth. And I saw um, that I one. That was, oh, I, did, I, I watched that one earlier. It was very good. So. Oh, thank you. I did some acting. I dressed up as a as a detective. <laughs> but yeah, I have all these, you know, if there's something specific you want. Yeah, you can find it very easily on my website and it, it directly links to all my YouTube videos. So and then I'm also on Instagram at Teeth Talk Girl. <laughs> so Whitney, congratulations again on all your success and your nuptials, thank you. of course. Thank, thank you for you. coming on the yeah. show, checking back in. Uh, hopefully we can oh, do it again in uh, a little while down the road. I love this. This is like six month cleaning appointments or something. We're just, we're keeping our, our six month checkups with, with each other's lives. <laughs> yeah. Remember, like I said, remember what was the phrase? Make sure to brush your skeleton. That was the other thing. Yeah. Yes. I do remember you saying that. Oh my God. So wild. So wild. All right. but I love it. All right. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for checking in. Okay. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful day. I am so glad we could get Whitney back on the show. What a lovely lady. And I am glad to have her as a friend of the show. Have you had a chance to check out our store on TeePublic? We have everything from magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have a carefully curated collection of t-shirts put together by myself and Mrs. Duvall. Be sure to go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Look on the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be magically taken to our store on TeePublic. And we want to thank TeePublic again for being such great partners. September is Suicide Prevention Month. As someone who has struggled with mental health in the past, I encourage everyone who might be going through a significant mental health crisis to reach out to a family member, a friend, a trusted doctor or religious leader, and have them help you get the immediate attention and help you require. You can also contact the 988 Suicide and Crisis Hotline. But please remember, suicide is a permanent solution to a very temporary problem. On behalf of the entire team here at The Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, be safe, be kind, and try to make a small monetary donation this week to your local animal shelter or rescue group. You'll be amazed at how far such a generous gift can go. No star, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website. DerekDuvallShow.com to explore past episodes and find links to purchase merchandise. Please subscribe to our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Derek Duvall Show.